out there. And this, this song is, is, you know, this is a good time of year to catch this. This is like college fight song, right? You ever see, you know, you watching the college football yesterday and, you know, there's certain songs that the band plays or they come out or they play, and, and you know, all the guys dressed in the colors of the team that song, when the fight song comes out, they stand up with an attitude. They're singing that song. There's, there's something about having a fight song, right? Well, this is a fight song. That's what this thing is. This, is. this is one of those battle hymn of the republic kind of songs, which, you know, when you, the patriotic feel that when that, that song breaks out for, you know, whether you're at a fireworks show and it's the 4th of July and my eyes have seen the glory. I mean, ah, and everybody starts singing a song that they have no idea what it's about, quite honestly. Uh, and if you've ever gone and read the words, you'll wonder, one, uh, it is a hymn and there's a battle going on, but it's got nothing to do with the Republic. <laughs> it, is, it is about something God is doing. But yet our, our country has picked that song up. And when it starts to play, I mean, you just want to put on red, white, and blue and you want to stand with the United States and you want to stand for what we stand for, whatever that is, and fight for this thing. All right, that's what the song of Moses is. It's a fight song. It's a battle hymn for God's people. And as we said last week, it, it never falls out of the top 40 list in the history of God's people. It is frequently referenced in the Old Testament. It's going to be sung at the end of time as a celebration, right? And so let's, let's just pick up. We're going to read again this song. We'll read through verse 12 this time today. Get a feel for it. Verse 1. It says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Right? Remember the context here? Remember where we are in the journey with the Israelites? They've come out of the Red Sea. God has done miraculous things, closed the Red Sea up, <clears throat> destroyed the Egyptian army, and truly the Egyptians are now no longer to even be seen in the rearview mirror. Right? That chapter is closed that was in their life, and it was a big, noisy chapter. And then they sang this song, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. Now, I don't want to stop on all this stuff, but you know, th this just doesn't capture us enough. This is, this is like playing Michael Jordan and he scored zero points. Shut him down, right? We'd be like, oh, man, that dude is bad. Man, Michael Jordan held him no points in a game. The horse and the rider, this Pharaoh's chariots, the biggest, baddest army in the world, the most feared military leader and intimidating country in the world, God buried them underneath the water. The floods covered them. They went down into the deeps like a stone. Your right hand, O oh Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. 
Lord, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them up. Well, Lord, this is a song that they sang in a moment, but it was a song for generations to sing. It was a song for us to sing today. It's a song one day we will sing when the fallen Egypt of this world is in our rearview mirror and we see it no more. We're going to sing this song. So, Lord, it's, it's, this is not an oldie that doesn't fit our style. Lord, this song needs to be in our hearts because, Lord, we are still facing battles today. We still need a battle hymn. So, God, invigorate this song into our souls that we might sing it the way we need to sing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, very simply, this, this song features God and it features triumph. That's what this song's about. If you're looking for two words just to describe this song, this is a song about God, and it is a song about triumph, about battle, about victory, about overcoming, about an, op- an opposer that meets his match, and the victory goes to our God. Now listen, this, this song stays relevant for God's people for, for two obvious reasons. Because who God is is always relevant to our lives, right? I love the quote. I think it's Tozer that says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's more important than your family name, how you grew up, how you were raised, what your gene pool is. What comes in our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And this song fills us in about some ideas about God, doesn't it? It's about God, and it's about triumph. It's about warfare. It's about battles that are going to be fought. And, And see, that never becomes irrelevant, does it? Because everybody here today is in some phase of a battle in your life. You know, it might be quiet on the front right now, but you know there's still an enemy over there dug in in foxholes, waiting for a moment to fight. And you may have had a giant fight, great battle in your life last year, and then you had one two years before that, or maybe you had a season where there's skirmishes every other day. Listen, this song never goes out of style because you always live in a setting of war, always. And so, you know, one of the things I want to highlight for us today is just that this scripture pulls us into that setting of warfare, and it's popular because we live in a setting of warfare, and, and, I, and it's too easy for us to lose sight of that. So give us a little bit of a warfare update here, and, and where does this imagery come from? Well, look in your outline there. I've, I've just put some passages here that fill us in about this. Revelation chapter 12 says this. It says, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. All right, now, you know the, the Bible does some things to us sometimes that are, are very helpful. It kind of it pulls back the curtain to let us see behind the scenes. Right, you and I live in the daily scenes of life. Right, but every once in a while the Bible will pull the curtains back and let us see this is what's going on behind the movie set. 
This is the agenda behind this thing. And so we get this glimpse into heaven, and we find out there's this war in heaven. And there are these beings in this war. There's Michael and his angels, and they are in a contest. There is a fight going on against the dragon. All right, now, can I just tell you right now, this, this, is, this is picture language, but it's facts, so I don't know how you do when you come to the Bible and you encounter this stuff. You know, this all of a sudden, did the, the Bible just turn Harry Potter on you, right? It's like, whoa, what the heck is this? You know, dragons? Wait. Uh, well, it's going to explain who this dragon is in just a moment. But I, and you know, don't raise your hands on this, but we live in such a, quote, scientific age. Do, do you believe in invisible spiritual beings that are not human? Do you believe in them? Do you believe they're real? Do you believe they have an impact on the world in which you live? Do you believe they have an impact on you? Or have you become convinced that, well, the only beings, the only life forms I'm convinced of are the ones that I've learned about in a biology book somewhere, that human intellect and human instruments could put under a microscope and could define them and say what they were? And since I've not come across a microscope that reveals spirit beings, demons, I don't believe in them. I mean, is that where you are? You know, just, just for the sake of a little, little bit of humility, uh, remember, at, there was a point in human history where there was no such thing as a microscope. Did that mean there was no such thing as cells? Because you couldn't see them. All that, all that is is a testimony of human limitation, isn't it? At some point, man discovered an ability to see really, 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 really small things that have always existed. Now, I'm not foreseeing a day except for this microscope right here where man's going to invent something that allows him to see the spirit being realm. not anticipating that day. I don't know that it couldn't happen, but this lets us see. There's a realm of faith and a realm of spirit-given insight that lets us see things that microscopes don't pick up. Right? You can't put it into a test tube and find an equation for it. But they exist, and they're real. And that's how the Bible treats them. Right? So there's this battle in heaven, Michael and his angels, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then it goes on later in the chapter and says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, you just booted out a bad dude, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had... He had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. I'm not going to chase all this imagery here. Then the dragon became furious. All right, does this, this sound, you know, can you pick up the parallel story here? By the time we get to the Red Sea with the Israelites, you remember Pharaoh has a moment where he had agreed earlier on to let them go, and then he reconsiders that, doesn't he? And he comes after them with a fury. 
Never before had he unleashed his entire army against the Israelites. They were slaves in the land. He controlled them. He had taskmasters. But now he is furious. He has taken the best of his soldiers. He has taken all of his chariots. And he has emptied his kingdom to go after these Israelites. Sound familiar? Sounds just like this. This dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's you. And that's me. That's Christians. That's the church. There is a spirit being out there who has you in his crosshairs. And he is furious. And he's coming after you. If you lift up your eyes sometimes and you, know, you look out, we look at our lives when we make this comment, you know, what on earth is going on? Okay, you just got to peek behind the scenes. This is what on earth is going on. <clears throat> why do people do that kind of stuff? This is why people do that kind of stuff. Because this is what's going on behind the scenes. And just run through these other verses quickly. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation." You're going to have trouble in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? Jesus has a greater story than the Song of Moses to tell about his triumph. Because he has triumphed over the ultimate enemy. He has triumphed over the dragon. Right? Moses just beat Pharaoh. But Jesus has triumphed over our enemy. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Notice it doesn't say we're not waging war. It says we're not waging war according to the flesh. So in other words, we are waging war. We're just not doing it this way. We're doing it this way. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. All right, this might, you know, let's be honest here for a moment talking this warfare language, talking battles and weapons. How many of us are waging war? Right? I mean, you, just, you, know, you ask a soldier this who's been serving in Afghanistan, and then they tell you, you know, we went out on this search and destroy mission. We went out on this. You know, there, were, there, were, there, were, there were things they were going off to do to encounter this. And the Bible says we are... We are waging war. The Bible says there are weapons involved. Would, would, would you be familiar with the weapons of the warfare that this passage is describing? You know, if, if, if sort of you were in a line and God just threw this weapon in your lap, would you know how to load it? Would you know how to aim it? Would you know how to shoot it? Right? This Bible's actually acting like we know this stuff. So I can like, oh, well, there's weapons? I, I, I don't even know what that would be. I guess it maybe would be the, the Bible would be a weapon. Uh, like, yeah, exactly. And, and, and if this was thrown into your lap, not as a book to be put on a bookshelf, but as a weapon with which to fight, would you know how to pick it up and fight with it? Right? The Bible's expecting that we do. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously given about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. 
holding faith in a good conscience. And then we have those famous verses from Ephesians 6 that let us in on what's this, again, behind the scenes, this dragon reality. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That dragon, he's scheming. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, I know every one of us are fighting some battles in our lives. How many of us are spending our time fighting in the categories listed in Ephesians chapter 6? I know... We're fighting to get a better argument to out-argue our spouse. We're fighting to force some person to do something that we want them to do or we feel like they should do. We fight in certain categories, but do we fight in these categories? Because there's a waging war that sits in these other places that the Bible is very much about. Now, that's an interesting insight from Mr. John Piper here about the imagery of war. And I think it'll strike a chord with many of us in different ways. He says, over the years, it has, been, it has become plain to me that not everyone likes the idea that life is war. I remember a colleague almost 40 years ago complaining that the warfare image of the Christian life was not helpful and that what was needed was the family image. God is our father. We are his children. Christians are brothers and sisters, and life is fellowship. And I recall about 20 years ago, during a crisis in our church, a whole group of my friends in the church criticizing me for putting too much emphasis on the Christian life as a fight, a fight of faith, and reminding me that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? Can you just hear? There's some folks coming to John Piper and say, John, John, there's... You know, what about the Christian life being a family? What about his yoke being easy? I mean, you're, dude, you're making it so intense and so weighty. You know, realize, realize this about yourself, because you ask questions for a reason, right? You listen to messages and, and listen, you know, I've said this to you before, but you aim in certain things and you oppose certain things. Here's why. Because certain things make sense to you that when you finally hear it, you can amen it. That doesn't mean something else that was said wasn't worthy of an amen. It just means that you didn't catch that one because you don't have a category for it. That's humbling. Right? It doesn't mean that when somebody speaks in a category that you don't have a lot of insight in, that they're not speaking correctly. It might just highlight that you don't have a lot of insight in that category. Right now, I, I say this because you know, here's the backdrop of John Piper saying these things. He's a pastor speaking to a variety of people in a variety of places. Some of us, the Christian life makes more sense for it to be a family where God is our father and we are brothers and sisters and we do fellowship together and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. <clears throat> and that makes sense to us. But that's not the only image that's in Scripture. But by the way, that, that image is in Scripture. Now, here's the challenge <clears throat> If, if you're a, you know, I find John Piper to be helpful in a bunch of categories, so this would not be a critique of him. Uh, but if you're, you know, John's a little intense, right? John's not the lightest kind of guy to be hanging around. So if you're a guy who's kind of intense, you know, you might find out as a pastor over time, hey, John, a lot more war talk than family talk going on with you. Okay, that could be a legitimate is- issue because 
it's not as though one is true and one is untrue, but it does become a matter of emphasis. And I'd say this just, you know, for me as a pastor, I'd say it to anybody who's leading something. You and I will all have tendencies to emphasize certain things over other things because certain things make more sense to us and certain things make more sense to others. So we need to be careful in this. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that what we do in Scripture, one of the reasons we go through the Bible the way we do and study through books of the Bible, is because then the book brings the emphasis, right? This is a song about war. I don't know, I don't think you want me to turn it into something else today, do you? But that's what it's about. So it's a battle hymn, it's a fight song. Now maybe you're sick of Keith, this whole leaving Egypt thing has been so intense. Yes, well, you want me to say, yes, it has been. You know, it's not a picnic. This isn't like, take it easy. Brooks of water and little lambs lapping it up. Well, that's elsewhere in the Bible. It's just not in this section right now, all right? This is like nasty chariot wheels and grinding sounds and armies coming against you and a sea that's going to swallow people up and dead bodies on the seashore. That's this imagery. Make sure if you don't like those kind of movies, you know, you're, I'm, oh, I like drama and I, I like a good plot, you know, maybe somebody falls in love. All right, that's not this story. Don't ignore this because it's not your favorite movie. It's in the Bible. Got to do something with it, right? So he goes on and says, we all need critics because we are all prone to distort the truth by how we use the truth. We can get a hold on a biblical truth and, such, and put such an emphasis on it that it gets all out of proportion to the place it has in the Bible. And the Bible is our measure, isn't it? The pastor must ask, will I speak what is in the Bible? Will I embrace and speak all of it? And will I put an emphasis where the Bible does? And in the Bible, the Christian life is described as family life, sometimes as the life of a farmer, the life of an athlete, the life of an investor, the life of an apprentice, the life of a manager, the life of a slave, and the life of a soldier, a warrior. All of them are important. All of them contribute something to a way of life that overcomes sin and lives a life of worship and holiness. This song today depicts God a certain way. In this song, now listen, please don't hear me criticizing this because I'd be an idiot to criticize what I'm about to say because it would give away the fact that I've never read anything else in the Bible except this one passage. But this is not a song about God being our father. This is not a song about God being our shepherd. This is not a song about God being our healer. In this song, God is not a nurturing mother. Now, he's all those things in other places in Scripture. That's not what this song's about. In this song, verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. That's who he is in this song. And that's a defining thing about God. And I know I've hammered on this a lot, and and you're probably going to hear me hammer on it for the rest of your lives. Because you live in a culture that is slicing off pieces of God, if they even want to tolerate God existing at all, and telling you which piece of God you have permission to approve of and fall in love with. Oh, I just love this about God. Do you love this about God? Because the Bible loves this about God. I love that God is such a God of mercy. Well, yeah, I'm reading this psalm. Those bodies washing up on the shoreline are not featuring mercy. They are featuring a God of war. Yahweh is a warrior. That's who he is in this psalm. And, you know, the good news for all of us is at some point, at some point, 
You know, no matter how nice you want your life to be and how much, you know, soft pastel colors you want to surround yourself with, at some point in your life, you're going to be surrounded by an enemy. There's going to be blood on the ground. You're going to be scared out of your mind. And in that moment, you are going to be glad as all get out that your God is a warrior and that he fights and he will go to war on your behalf. You're going to love this image, and that's why we need to see it correctly. Let me make this statement. God is at war, and we are at war. God is at war, and we are at war. Now listen carefully to this, because I want us to make sure we catch this. If the Lord is a man of war, if that's who God is, God is a warrior, one translation will say a man of war, then that means there is something that opposes God, and that he opposes as well. There's something that God fights against and that fights against him. Right? Do you understand that that's what that means? God is a man of war. He is a warrior. So there's a battle going on. There's a war then taking place. That means God stands to fight for something and something resists him. And that thing stands to fight for something and is against God. All right, that's just the reality. Now, that might sound like, oh, that's, that's so obvious. Uh, I agree with you. It is so obvious. But you and I live in a culture that is so tolerant happy that it's creating the idea that God isn't against anything. And for you to have an image that there's a God who gets his back up over something, that there's a God who goes to war, there's a God who looks at something over there and goes, I'm against that. I oppose that. I will bring force to bear on that thing. People are like, no, no, no. no God, not the God I know wouldn't do that. Well, can I just say this as nice as you can? You need to keep your receipt and bring that God back. Because that, that just, you, you just got a bad deal. That's not the God of the universe. <laughs> Somebody made that God up. He sounds interesting, but, but he's not this God. This God, Yahweh, the personal God. And that's, every time you see that word Lord, it's the personal name for God. It's Yahweh. Among all the gods in the universe and in the world, Yahweh is a God of war. He's a warrior. He stands for something and he fights for something. And he's against something. See, you can't fight for something without being against something. I mean, I know this isn't rocket science, but it's almost like it's got to be said. Here's why. And, I'm, you know, if you're new to the church, you know, give me a chance. Don't freak out on me. Don't ever, you know, I'm never coming back because I'm saying this. But if you do respond that way, do come meet with me if you respond to the freaking, if you freak out over what I'm about to say. Um, all of a sudden, our culture has clued into the possibility that God might be against something. And, and it's, it's floated up in the category of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Our culture is freaking out over the idea that God could be opposed to that. And you are a horrible person if you are opposed to it. You're a hater. You're intolerant. Okay, now, if that's true of you, who are, then obviously that's true of God, right? Because if, if you're a follower of God, God is at war and you are at war. God is for some things, you are for some things. God is against some things, you are against some things. So if you are an intolerant bigot who's a hater because you have an opposing view of homosexuality or of same-sex marriage, well, then that's what the culture feels like about God. 
God can't be against that. Well, can I ask you this? In your estimation, is God against anything? Is there anything you'd say God is really against? Are we just supposed to highlight this incredible tolerance that everything is okay in its own way? I don't know what happened that it took getting to a generation, the generation I grew up in, uh, to get to a place where homosexuality and same-sex marriage had to be the, the, the thrusting issue to create a discussion as to whether or not God was against things. If you wanted to freak out, you should have been freaking out a long time ago. Because if you read the Bible, you'll find out God is against all kinds of stuff. You know, let's, let's be honest here. I mean, if you, if you do a poll and you check people's lives homosexuality and same-sex marriage is going gonna, is gonna to touch such a small portion of human existence. Very small percentage of people are going to ever have issues in those categories. Did you know the Bible's against stuff that affects everybody in this room? Did you know God opposes the proud? Did you know that? I mean, maybe you're trying to think of who the proud people are that he's against. <laughs> Do you know that God is against liars? The Bible actually says, you know, the lake of fire is for liars. I don't, I don't think that means God's for them. I don't know how you're interpreting that. If we're going to freak out, we should have freaked out a long time ago. Because God is against anything in your life that forces him into second place. Did you know that? You want to freak out. Man, freak out over that deal. Because you could take something that's decent and elevate it to number one in your life, and God is now opposed to that thing in your life. And in ways that contain all the character of God, he will go to war in that thing. Because he will not be number two to anything. Because the universe gets turned upside down. The second God is not number one. And whether or not you and I like that or value that, that's how it really is. So if we're going to freak out, we need to have freaked out a long time ago because God is actually against some things, right? James chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there with me real quick. God is a warrior, and he's not just a warrior when he's in the desert with his back against the Red Sea. All right, fast-forwarding many, many years here. James chapter 4, verse 1, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Right? All right, stop for a second. That little episode discovery right there just found its way into every nook and cranny of your life, if you're honest. Anywhere that you have a relationship with a human being, you just discovered something right there. Whether it is husbands and wives in this room, what causes your quarrels and what causes your fights? All right, it's about to be described in this passage. If it's family, Right? And you got siblings you don't get along with. You got parent-children relationships that aren't working. 
Uh, you go off to school, you're in high school, you've got a classroom setting. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? If you're in the city of New Orleans and you've got crime and you've got somebody quarreling and fighting with others in a crime capacity, if you're a nation that goes to war with another nation, it's the same question. What causes these quarrels? What causes these fights? Where does it come from? Verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All right, So passions at work in us is a problem. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Right, we're, we're still trying to figure out quarrels and fights, by the way. Right, we didn't move on from that subject. We're just learning what's behind the quarrels and the fight. Why is it that our relationships don't work? Why do people not get along? Why do they divorce and hate each other? Why do they do that? Why does our world not work? Why is there this nation rising up against that nation? Why are those people being taken advantage of? Why is that happening? Listen, I know that there's a tendency for some of us to blame God for this. Listen, I look on these atrocities and there's something in my heart that wants to, why does God allow this kind of thing? You reading this passage with me? Who does God find at fault? What causes these quarrels and these fights? Your adultery, that's what causes it. You're an adulterous people. That's the problem. The problem is with people's adultery. Now, I know you're thinking husband-wise. Don't think husband-wise. Think man and God. That's the source of your problem. And he goes on and explains that right now. He's unpacking that in verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's what I mean by adultery. Or do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says he, speaking of God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? There's a spirit, a soulish capacity in us that the living God yearns jealously to commune with, jealously to be connected with in our lives. And God says when you take that and you connect it to something else, you commit adultery on me. And that's where your quarrels, and that's where your fights come from. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Okay, listen for a second. This is not some dude, this is, you know, this is not like a bad Beatles song, like somebody smoked something and started writing about clouds in the sky. James isn't wandering all over the place, like, what can I talk about next? I just throw the devil in here. Uh, how about some pride here? This is all about the same thing. This is ground-level human experiences. We don't get along. We fight with each other. I take advantage of you. You take advantage of me. I get away from this person. I get around certain people. I hate some things. I hate some people. What causes all that? God says, your adultery toward me causes all that. You can't get along with each other because you won't submit to me. And why won't you do that? Pride. You think you deserve something different than what you're getting. You think life ought to orbit around you in a way that that other people don't feel that way. And quite honestly, God says, and I don't feel that way either. I didn't create the whole universe to orbit around you, and you think you're so stinking important, and no one should ever cross you or step on your toes or ever disappoint you or do anything but wipe your nose perfectly. 
And because somebody didn't, you got your back all up. What is that? Well, I was done wrong, Keith. That's what that is. Why, you never deserve to be done wrong? Never? You're a fallen person living amongst other fallen people. They were all supposed to do it right all the time, perfectly. What do you you want in that moment? Well, I want what I deserve. (laughs) That's theological laughter, in case you're wondering what that is right there. (laughs) That's people realizing, I don't really think I want what I deserve. But there's this part of us that thinks we deserve good. We deserve reward. We deserve everybody to treat us right all the time. What is that? It's pride. It's prideful insistence. And the second I'd start discovering that you're not going to treat me a certain way, and you're not going to treat me a certain way, and you're not going to treat me a certain way, I'm going to shop in the world to find somebody who will get in agreement with me. That's why you become friends with the world. Now, interestingly, I don't think you're actually friends with all the world. You're just friends with the pieces of the world who will further your interest. So I don't want to be around this group because they don't reward me this way, but this group does. And I don't want to be friends with this person because they don't stroke me the right way, but that person does. And everybody has to serve your pride, and you will make partnerships with them, and you'll get an allegiance with them. And that's why God says, you you have become friends with the world. You have alienated me. You don't want me in your life. You want certain people who will say certain things to you and stroke your pride. Uh, And then it comes up, here's the remedy, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Uh, How did we just switch subjects here? Well, we didn't. Because in this world, there is this guy called the dragon, also called the God of this world. And when you came into allegiance with a piece of the world and its ideas, and somebody who would finally applaud you, somebody who'd stop telling you you're wrong for what you're doing, they'll applaud you now. You're doing it right. You're living the way you ought to be living. Well, you came into agreement with an idea that was in the world. And where'd that idea come from? It came from a personality. It came from a dragon. That's why God can suddenly turn this thing and say, your choice here is you submit to me, and you resist the devil. Or you go ahead and be in allegiance with the devil, but if you do that, you become my enemy. Do you see that in this passage here? This is how man becomes the enemy of God. Now, if you don't have a category for God to be against anything, what are you going to do with this passage when you read it? Because God's not against anything. He's, you know, he's part grandmother and part old man with a beard, and he's sitting around just dispensing out toys to grandchildren. I know it's grandparents' day, but this is clear evidence that God is not a grandparent. Whoa! And theologically, you know I'm right. You know I'm right. That's war, he says. Uh, I'm still faster than you, at least for now. Somewhere along the way here, we have misplace the idea that God is against some things. Yahweh is a warrior. He fights for some things and he fights against some things. Right? That's, that's just a fact. It may not be something we're comfortable with, but it is what the Bible says about him. Now, no, let me just make this note as we move to this next element back in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, this, this warfare, I think I put this in your outline, this warfare is a contest of personalities, not just a contest of principles. 
Now, what do I mean by that? It's very easy for principles, for ideas to be extracted from their origins, alienated from the, the beings who bring them into existence, and now they're just left to fight on their own, right? Pro-life, pro-women. Concepts, right? Who wins in that debate? The woman has the right over her body, right? It's just an idea. It comes from nowhere, right? It's just an idea for, for women and humanity to have a discussion about the rights that they have over their own body. And then somebody else has got an idea, and they come along, and they run behind, and they say, well, what about the rights of the child inside the woman? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we be speaking up on behalf of that? So we got these two warring concepts, and we've alienated them that they came from someone. They're ideas that originate somewhere. God has something to say, and there's a dragon out there that's got something to say too. And you might need to pick up the idea chain and pull on it and see where it goes. And when you finally get to the end, see who's holding it in his hand. Same-sex marriage. Well, it's just a concept, Keith. It's just, you know, that person, they've got the right to be happy and to have access to tax benefits and relation. And if people choose to do it, right, it's just an idea, right? Pick it up and pull on it and find out where did that idea come from? Because in the beginning, when God created everything, there was a set of ideas in place. And ever since then, there have been other ideas coming up. And the problem with this dragon is, the Bible clearly says this about him, that he's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's an idea monger. This dude's got more ideas than you'll ever shake a stick at. And if you pick up enough ideas that come into your world, but this is a problem, we don't do this, do we? Ideas come in, and that idea fights with that idea, and, you know, I don't know, the people on MSNBC had a bigger argument than the people on Fox did today about that same issue. So who wins the debate of ideas? Life is not a debate of ideas. It is a contest between the living God and a dragon. It is a war. And the ideas are just part of the warfare. So don't forget, there's a personality here, right? When you go back to Exodus chapter 15 here. There's a personality here in this song. Look in, in chapter 4, I mean verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. This wasn't just chariots. It wasn't just an army. It was Pharaoh's. There's a personality involved here. That personality in Scripture, this Pharaoh being, is there as an illustration. He illustrates another person. When Jesus Christ triumphs, right, he crushes the head of the serpent, the dragon. It's a war. So Pharaoh is just an illustration of another villain in Scripture, the ultimate villain. Pharaoh's not our ultimate villain here. He just illustrates the one who is. So there's a personality issue here. And, and by the way, uh, you're going to bump into this personality. This personality has got some things to say to you. Our enemy, your enemy, this is why this song is so relevant for us because you are in your own battle. you got your own Red Sea that you're backed up against. you got mountains on both sides. You have a threatening enemy in your life. And he's a talker. 
He's got some things to say. He, he's a trash talker. Right? He's right here in verse 9, right? I will pursue. Look at what he says in verse 9. Right? In the midst of all that God's going to do, this, this big mouth is shooting off his mouth. Right? God's about to bury him in verse 9. says, the enemy said, I will pursue. I'm coming after you. Right, listen, if you're in this room here and you have issues in your life that fall under the category of habits, you have heard your enemy use this line more times than you can remember. I will pursue you. Oh, I don't care that it's been two weeks that you haven't overeaten. I'm coming back. I'll pursue you. It doesn't matter you've been sober for two months. I will pursue you. You will never get away from me. That's what your enemy is going to say to you. He's threatening in your life. And remember where this fits in the song, right? Because the threats really don't matter. I will overtake you. you. You will not escape me. You are not fast enough. You're not consistent enough. You don't love God enough. You don't read your Bible enough. I will overtake you. Right? How many of you guys recognize, I'm going to kind of spoil the, uh, this is a spoiler alert. How many of you guys recognize that their victory wasn't about how well they read the Bible? Why did they beat this enemy? Because God triumphs gloriously. Not because of their resume, but because of God's resume is why they end up being triumphant. I will divide the spoil. Oh, this, this, is a, this is a tough one. This is your enemy standing at your door, looking at your life, and beginning to point out the things in your life that are going to become his. That's going to become spoil for me. When I bring you down, that will be mine. And that's an intimidating thing because there's things in our lives that mean something to us. Right, some of them don't need to mean as much as they do. Some of them are good things. But we can be quite threatened when the enemy begins to point out, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take your health. Your health is going to become my spoil. I'm going to take your money. You think you're going to be able to make it through this economic crisis? You think you're going to be able to survive the downturn in your business? I'm taking your money. I'm taking spoils. I'm coming after your life, and I'm taking spoils. I'm taking your children. They're not going to follow me. They're not going to follow God. They're not going to believe. They're going to go off into the world. They're going to love the things of this world. They're going to turn their back. I'm taking your children. Listen, have you heard this enemy speaking to you? Am I making this stuff up? He's a talker, man. I will have my way. I will draw my sword. I will destroy you. Right? There's stuff in your life that you feel threatened by. This. When you're a young person here. I remember being in high school and, and just relationships and fitting in and what group did I fit in and, and whether or not, you know, th that stuff was so big. Right? And you got an enemy screaming at you, hey, you know what? If you don't do this, you're not going to fit in. If you don't sound this way, dress this way, go to these places, you're not going to fit in. They're not going to welcome you. You're going to be alone. You know how bored you're going to be with nothing to do and nobody to go out with on Friday night? It, listen, it's amazing to me how many young people will sell their souls for Friday night. Sit at home and stare at the freaking wall. I did that as a teenager. And look what happened to me. But anyway. 
Don't, don't sell your soul because the, the, the enemy has made it sound like the worst thing that could happen to you as a young person is that you'd be bored. Can, can I just tell you, I've fast-forwarded in teenagers' lives to the day that they decided boredom wasn't an option for them. They chose something else, and they lived in the misery for years and years, sometimes for the rest of their lives. Don't believe this idiot when he says this to you. But he's going to speak. He's going to make his noise. Listen, if God is at war and I'm a God follower, then I'm at war too. I'm going to be in these battles, right? And the question is, what am I fighting against, right? Go back to that 2 Corinthians passage is helpful. Because, you know, ours doesn't dress up like Pharaoh. This is more the kind of stuff that you're going to find. This is where your battle is. These are the things you're fighting against. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Let me just ask you a question here. If you look in your rearview mirror spiritually right now, do you, do you see stuff burning and in, in ruins? Not, not, not stuff the enemy did to you, but stuff you did. We have divine power by God to destroy strongholds. Destroyed anything lately? Hey, what's up with the storyline? Well, the only story any of us have got to tell sometimes is what's been destroyed. What the enemy's come and destroyed, what he's stolen, what he's messed with. Where's the story that's in this passage here? I've been given divine weapons by God to demolish and destroy strongholds. And when I pick them up, that one goes down. And then I, I beat on that one for a while and I do it by the Spirit and I do it by God's leading. And that one goes down and I look in the rearview mirror and I say, man, look at, wow, I remember when that was an issue for me. And praise God, it's not. I remember when that thing used to control, and God, thank you that, it, that I don't even think about that anymore. Right? That's what this verse is supposed to help us realize. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You, you and I are waging war, and this is a category in which we're waging it. Thoughts and ideas and arguments and reasonings that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God and seek to talk you and I into a different existence than the one God has for us. Now, if, and if I were to ask you, I don't know what you're getting your back up over lately, right? What, what, what war are you fighting? What issues for you have become these loud, noisy things? I am, I'm PO'd about that. I'm, I'm, I'm going after that thing. I talk about that. The guy, if you stand next to me right now, I'm going to tell you about that. What is that? Is it just what Fox News has told you to go to war against? Taking your cues from whatever Bill O'Reilly's got on his list at night? Because, man, I, I see some Christians get so animated over stuff that is in the news. Man, they got an opinion. You want to talk politics with me? Let's talk politics, Keith. I am so red hot. Ready to go to war? Oh, I'm ready to go to war. <laughs> All right. Listen, it's interesting what we'll go to war with and what we'll leave alone. 
There are, there are wars in here that are some of the most important wars that you and I are ever going to fight. They're so much more important than some of the wars out there that we were spending all of our time on. Listen, it's interesting, and I'll be very careful on how I say this because I don't know enough of the situation to really make a comment, but it just captures my attention here, right? We've got giant same-sex marriage debate taking place, Supreme Court moves, war breaks out. We're, we're at war over the Supreme Court decision. I'm not saying that's wrong. And so, you, you know, you've got a, a woman in Kentucky who, you know, got caught in this situation. She takes a stance, and she's, she's fighting this Supreme Court thing. You know what's interesting? And, again, I don't know this woman. I don't know her background. I don't know her story. Could, could be just very reasonable explanations for all these things. But, you know, the world didn't miss this opportunity to explain to us that this woman who's been divorced three times is fighting a war against same-sex marriage. Now, I don't know her situation. So this is, not a, this is not directed toward her. But there are some of us as Christians who are ready to fight a war about same-sex marriage, but we're not ready to fight a war about our own marriage. Do you know how many Christians are landing in divorce these days? Do you have any idea how common it is for Christians to give up loyalty, to give up steadfast love that's like God's, to be patient, to deal with wrongs, to forgive even adultery? I mean, you do realize... When God says that you're an adulterer in here, you do, you do, is there anybody in this room who doesn't realize you've committed adultery on God? Is there anybody in this room who would dare say, well, I've never done that. I have been faithful to God my entire relationship with him. I've never had anything in my life more important than him. I've never gone off and let my affections go to someone else besides him. I've never done that. And God did what when you did that? And you and I have become so intolerant of a spouse that won't do this this way or won't relate to me this way and calls on me to sacrifice and put up with that. And do you know how long I've been dealing with? You know, you back off and say, hey, let's have that same conversation with God about us. But we go to war, don't we? That same-sex marriage thing. I'm a Christian and I've got a resume behind me of I haven't, I haven't paid attention to my own marriage. I haven't fought in those kinds of spaces because, see, the God who's at war in some of these categories, please, please stop taking your cues from Fox News. Listen, it's not because I don't philosophically agree with some of the arguments I find in Fox News. It's just that they teach you what to be animated about. And when you got pride that's screaming out in your life like the loudest thing anybody ever comes in contact with when they have a five-minute conversation with you, and you're more worried about how to pad your argument about same-sex marriage than you are about the God who says, I oppose the proud. Do you know you could be at war with God because of your pride? In the same way God's at war with same-sex marriage issues? Come on, Christians. If I read my Bible, I might find out this God is God of war. He goes to war against some things. And he calls on me to go to war, too. So in this passage, hey, this is where we're living. We're, we're, we're standing in a warfare posture against arguments and reasonings that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. Listen, that's where you and I wage war, and that's where we need to wage more, a whole lot more than anything that's in the, the headlines. The arguments and reasonings. Right? I've, got, I've got stuff in me that, that, that reasons with me. Right? Fear, 
Fear comes, you know, I don't know how fear comes to you, but fear comes to me like it dressed in a three-piece suit with a, with a briefcase, and it opens it up, and it sits down, and it talks very reasonably to me. I mean, I, I'm like, I can't argue with you. You got me on that one. Yeah. Keith, you do realize that, you know, if, if you do this, and then this happens, and then that person responds this way, and then that happens. Wow, that's true. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> All right, what happened to the war in that moment? where I was supposed to encounter those kinds of ideas and reasonings that come to me with something that I go to war. Because that's raising itself up against the knowledge of God. That's telling me God's not in control of my future. God's not in control of these circumstances. It's just a series of events that are out of control that have to do with human personalities and how that person responds to me. And I'm going to get buried in the end. And I'm going to lose terribly and I'm going to be hurt. Those are, those are arguments and reasonings. Right, guys, there's issues like lust that sit in our lives. Lust brings with it. All these guys are talkers. They're all talkers. If you think they're not talking to you, you just haven't stopped to listen correctly. Lust comes and makes a deal with you, doesn't it? It's a negotiator. It, should, it could be working for an NFL agent. It comes and sits down with you and it says, listen, listen, I know you've heard that long term, this is a bad deal, but listen, listen, I know. But short term, there will be so much pleasure in your lust. It, it's going to blow your mind. I mean, so it, he is so effective with his reasonings that he gets you to stop thinking about, if I act on this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unleash an animal inside of me that I may have no control over. Oh, he doesn't bring that up. And if I act on this and that leads to things that destroy and the shame of having explained this to my wife the harm I'm doing to the name and the reputation of God. You know, and well, listen, he's not coming to talk to you about those things. He's coming with reasonings. He just wants to talk to you about the most amazing amount of pleasure you're going to have in a really short period of time. It's going to blow your mind. And at that moment, you got to decide, God is at war with some things. Are you at war? Because those ideas are raising themselves up against the knowledge of God. Those things are going to blind you to who God is. They're going to control your life. They're going to steer you off course. They're going to become enslaving in your life. And all those things God's not interested in. God is at war. Are, are you at war in those moments? This, this Yahweh is a warrior. And in that moment, doesn't anybody need to say, this is a great hope in this passage. No one needs to say, but I just can't. I just can't. Yeah, I grew up in the 70s. Um, I was doing drugs by the time I got to the end of the 70s. And, you know, certain drugs that were in, you know, we're kind of graduating past alcohol. Drugs became interesting, influential. Certain drugs became very controlling in people's lives. Other ones weren't quite as, as bad, you know. Cocaine made its big mark on the scene there. Very crack turned people's worlds upside down. Heroin's on the scene today. Heroin was on the scene years ago. Heroin's made quite a comeback. Can I tell you what's made an interesting comeback? Is alcohol. Now, you guys know I've had to walk through some issues that, that touch my world in the alcohol arena, what's, what's disturbing is you just hang around normal people and observe how often you see them intoxicated. 
Now, you, you're not going to encounter that in your small group, for the most part that I know of. <laughs> but hang around your relatives. Go on vacation with your family. Spend some time with them. And watch how many of them are coping with life by constantly taking the edge off. Constantly drinking. Constantly drinking. It, it's sad. I mean, I've seen that so much. And it just, oh, it's heartbreaking to me. See, here's the great news that's in this song. You start singing this song as a Christian, and you've got issues like that in your life. This, is not a, this song of triumph is not a song about you. It's a song about God. And therefore, the only argument you'd have as to why you can't triumph is, is you'd have to attack God to win the argument. You'd have to say God can't overcome alcohol. Yeah, he did fine with Pharaoh, but he, he can't handle alcohol. He can't handle heroin. He can't handle lust and pornography. God can't handle that. This is a song about God that the people of God sing. And you know who's on the other side of the Red Sea safe? All the people of God. All of them are over there. The strong ones, the cool ones, the ones that probably could have wielded a sword and cut down some Egyptians all on their own, and the ones who couldn't pick a sword up and do anything on their own behalf, they're all on the other side of the Red Sea, safe and delivered. Not because of them, but because of the God who triumphs in this song. Well, what, just a wave of hope should go out into this audience right now. That means there's not a one of us, not a one of us who can't stand on the other side of the Red Sea triumphant because, well, Keith, you don't understand. I've been fighting this for so long. I have given in so many times. This is not a song about you. Stop singing your song. I know you suck. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. All right, Linda, I shouldn't have said that. I know. No. I grew up in the 70s. What do you want me to say? I know, I know. Uh, see, like Piper, I get feedback in moments as well. <laughs> I know you got a bad resume. I got a bad resume. And you may have a much worse one than mine. I mean, you may have to say, hey, yeah, dude, thank God that God stepped into your mess you know, when you were a teenager, but you know, I've got 20 more years that you don't have. But this is not a song about you. It's a song about triumph, and if it were a song about you or me, it'd be a song about failure. <laughs> it's a song about God. Let me look at this last quote with you. Eric, go ahead and come up here. J.C. Ryle, writing in the 1800s, he says, no doubt it is a war in which there are tremendous Struggles, agonizing conflicts, wounds, bruises, watchings, fastings, and fatigue. But still, every believer without exception is more than a conqueror through him that loved us. The leader and commander of all believers is our divine Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, a Savior of perfect wisdom, infinite love, and almighty power. 
the captain of our salvation, never fails to lead his soldiers to victory. He never makes useless movements, never errs in judgment, never commits any mistake. His eye is on all his followers, from the greatest even to the least. The humblest servant in his army is not forgotten. The souls of whom he has purchased and redeemed with his own blood are far too precious to be wasted and thrown away. Surely this is good. Listen, this is, this is where I, I, I know that we are as individuals. This, this song, if, you, if you're really going to engage this song, you're going to have to fight your way into engaging this song. I just promise you this. Everybody in the room, listen to me real quickly because this is a wasted lesson if you don't do the next thing. Because this is information in a sea of information. This is stuff that you kind of already knew, but, but you haven't been doing anything with it. You haven't acted upon it, and you haven't fought to believe it. Can I tell you, you've got to fight to believe some things? You just can't hear them. You're going to have to fight with your own soul, with the arguments that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. You've got all kinds of arguments inside of you that are arguing already with this passage. You have to fight to believe what this actually says. But here's what I want to do. I want to, you know, and you can just be vulnerable with me because I'm going to read this psalm to us and let God speak it in your soul a little bit. But here's what I want you to be in touch with because this is not an isolated war in Exodus 15. This is a today war. Your back is against your own Red Sea in whatever way that it feels like it is right now. So you've you got a war on your own life. Maybe some of us are in different places. We've, we've just come through a Red Sea. We're, we're, in, we're in a different place right now. But this, if your life is feeling this way, I love Mr. Ryle's insights here. If your war is feeling like this, tremendous struggles. Keith, I'm having tremendous struggles right now. Agonizing conflicts. Wounds, bruises. Watchings, I mean, just you're, you're obsessed, you're watching this battle, you're watching for the next step of the enemy in your life. Fastings and fatigue, I mean, just I'm just tired, I'm tired of fighting this. All right, listen, this battle hymn of the Republic is for you, and you need it right now. So I want to help you apply it, but I want, to, I want you to be real with me. And I want you to be real with God this morning, and I don't want you to care about who's here. So if those words that are in Mr. Ryle's quote there, if that describes you in your war right now, let me just get you to stand up right where you are, because I want, I want aid to come to you. I want God to meet you and impart something to you. So if this is what war is feeling like for you right now, stand up. This, this song is written down for people to sing it. And God's never into us singing empty words. So he's really into these words jumping off the page and meaning something to us. So I want you to, this is where meditation, this is where prayer does something for us that this message won't do by itself. You don't pray about this, then, yeah, hey, Keith, I remember that message. Yeah, you use that word and blah, blah, blah. 
which you're not going to benefit much from it. You're going to have to pray this down into your soul. You're going to have to fight to believe what's in this song. And so right now, I just want you to kind of create a moment where it's just you and God, and you're going to let your soul get quiet for a moment, and I'm going to try and press this song onto your soul. I'm going to read it a couple, just pieces of it a couple of times. And I want you just to listen for the words that begin to ring in your soul. Some of these words are going to weigh more than others to you. You just you write them down. You just hold on to them. You go back and rehearse them. Listen carefully to what God has to say to people who are facing battles. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse, his rider, he's thrown into the sea. I don't know what your horse and rider are, but you do got them, right? He is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them up. All right, now if your mind's like mine, I need to read it more than once. So I'm going to read that to you again. Let God just press it upon you. I will sing to the Lord right now in the midst of your war. Can you do that? I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has triumphed gloriously. A horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He's my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Oh, Lord, this morning... This morning, Lord, there are wars, there are skirmishes, there, there's burning buildings, there's shots being fired, there's pressing enemies, they're talking to us, they're threatening us with spoils being lost. We're going to go down. He's got weapons against us. He's going to pursue us. He's going to overtake us. God, that's what we're hearing. But God, you are a triumphant God. You are a glorious God. You are my God. I belong to you. You've written my name on your hands. You will not forget me. Though I may be the least of your people, Lord, I make it to the other side. You are faithful to me. God, I feel trapped. God, I feel like I I, I can't get out of this situation. I can't bring it to an end. I don't think I've got the resources to do it. But God, you are the God of glorious deeds, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, Lord. I'm asking you to do wonders for me, Lord. God, you did wonders here so that people like me, generations later, could sing a song that reminds them, our God, my God, the God of my fathers, that God, Yahweh the warrior, he does wonders. Lord, do some wonders for us. 
God, all over this room there are people fighting for their lives. Lord, they feel backed up against an impossible situation. There's an enemy who's running his mouth. Lord, you know who he is. He's against your people. He wants to hurt them. He wants to bring them down. He wants to crush their faith. God, would you do some awesome wonders in our day? God, would you break into this moment? Lord, you're our God. We trust you. We put our hope in you. Lord, you're a triumphant God. You don't lose. You're the captain. You are a soldier. You go to war, and God, we need you to go to war. Lord, these guys standing here this morning, they need you to go to war. God, they need to know that you're a fighter, that you're out there facing the enemy, and you're there to crush the enemy and to throw him underneath the waves that you're creating right now, the miracle that you're intervening with. God, I pray for whether it's a personal sin habit, Lord, whether it's a crushing financial need, Lord, whether it's threats from an enemy, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's quarrels and conflicts, God, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we're not going to stand before you proud this morning. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We honor you, triumphant God. We don't want to stand and cower and at the same time say we believe in a triumphant God. God, rescue us from cowering. God, may the only trembling that we're doing being the trembling that belongs to people who have seen their God in majesty and wonder and amazement. Your power is off the charts, God. You are our God. So God, for every person standing here this morning, Lord, press upon their souls this song, the song of a triumphant God, the song who gets his people to the other side, the song of the God who never fails. He is our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood, a mortal is prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work his woe. His craft and power great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be For God hath willed his truth to 
triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, but we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. God, thank you that you are our warrior, or that you have done battle, or that the war has been won. Lord, now help us, God, to battle in light of that victory, Lord, we pray. For your glory, oh God, for your glory, Lord, help us to battle. Let's be the church who does that, walks in the victory you've purchased for us, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen.